Welcome back to another episode of the Therapy in a Nutshell podcast. I'm Emma McAdam and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. And this podcast is all about taking the life-changing, but usually kind of complicated topics of therapy and boiling them down into simple, easy to understand concepts that you can use in your daily life. If you find today's episode is helpful to you, please pass it on to someone else who could benefit from it as well. Each podcast episode comes from a corresponding video you can find on the Therapy in a Nutshell YouTube channel. Also, these podcasts are educational and don't replace the advice or direction you may be receiving from a therapist or other health professionals. Now please, enjoy the episode. Today, I'm really excited to have a special guest on the show. We're going to be talking about skin picking and hair pulling, and very specifically about hair pulling, which is also known as trichotillomania. Now, our guest today is Dr. Michael Tuick. He is a professor of psychology. He's a licensed psychologist. He runs acceptance and commitment therapy research. He's published over 200 papers. And his emphasis right now and his specialty is on trichotillomania, perfectionism, and acceptance and commitment therapy. So he's a great fit for what we want to be learning about today, which is how to manage these body-focused repetitive behaviors like trichotillomania. So I'm super excited to have Mike on the show today, and let's jump in. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you so much, Mike, for being here. I am, like, seriously glad I would be willing to take some of your time to meet with me and share some of your experience. So for the audience, Dr. Tuig is one of the experts in ACT out there. He's one of the leaders, and he also is an expert in trichotillomania, body-focused repetitive behaviors. So really excited to pick your brain on this topic. Well, thanks for having me here. And yeah, I'm excited to do this. And it's wonderful to get to talk about trichotillomania. More needs to be out there on that. So this will be great. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, let's just start with, let's talk about what is trichotillomania. Can you tell me about this disorder and what causes it? What do we know about it? Sure. So to me, the diagnosis of trichotillomania, it's interesting the last couple of years, they tightened up the diagnosis. It just means you pull your own hair out to a point that causes damage and then gets in the way of your life. Now, there used to be some diagnostic stuff about emotions and feelings tied in, and they took that out because mm-hmm. not everybody not everybody has that. So it's just hair pulling that leads to damage. Mm-hmm. So it's very specific about that behavior. Yes. Mm-hmm. And people can pull from anywhere. I think this is worth getting. The scalp's probably the most common but eyebrows are pretty common. Eyelashes are pretty common. I find eyebrows and eyelashes are more common in teens. And then obviously you can go through the rest of your body. Uh, women are more likely to seek out services, although the data seem to say men and women pull at the same rate. But I'll, I'll also, I'll say women seek out services by a lot more than, than men do. Interesting. And is there an age group? When, when does this usually start showing up? Yeah, it's a great question. It starts like that 13 to 15 is the most common. And in my experience, if you start, it's kind of unlikely you're going to figure out how to get out of this yourself. Because you ask something like, what, what, like what brings it on or what causes it? We don't really think anything causes it. It's not like a trauma or high anxiety or anything, but it's a pretty reinforcing behavior. So if you get into it, it's going to be kind of hard to get out of it. So you'll start 13, 14, 15, and then the odds are you'll keep doing it throughout life. You'll have ups and downs, and you know you may even have a year where you do well with it. 
that's something worth talking about, about how it's a pretty enjoyable behavior. Interesting. Okay. I really want to get into that on why it's reinforcing, why it brings some relief or, or physical sensations of pleasure or whatever that is to people. But first I want to just step back to a little bit broader overview. Yeah. How does trichotillomania fit within kind of the broader view of body-focused repetitive behaviors? So that would include like skin picking, nail biting. Yes. Yeah. How does that fit in there? So the big ones that are out there in the field, so skin picking and hair pulling are, and those two have a diagnosis in our book, the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. That's the thing that we use to diagnose psychological disorders. You know, in the most recent one, skin picking went in, trichotillomania had already been in that book. And so those are the two big ones. Those are the ones we're going to see the most in the clinic. And are they different? The The relationship between them is 85% the same. They're not exactly the same. I could talk about what I see a slight differences between them, but they're pretty similar in terms of why they happen. People sometimes do both. We do kind of the same treatment for them. And then the there, of course, is sort of an unlimited number of other body-focused repetitive behaviors. So nail biting is one, and you know, obviously there's a typical nail biting, but I did a nail biting treatment study once, and that can be pretty severe. I mean, like all the way down, like there's no nail left, and mm -hmm. then people are going after the little bit that's coming out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that can be pretty severe and could require some help. Cheek biting is another big one. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You'll see people who sort of sit there like that. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's other sort of scratching ones. But like I said, people could do all sorts of things that are within that. But kind of the skin picking, hair pulling are the ones that we sort of think of as as the the bigger ones. That's kind of consistent. It has a, those two have a diagnosis. But would it be fair to say that many of the causes and treatments have a lot of overlap with like skin picking or hair pulling? Yeah, very much. And very even nail biting, although we haven't done much work in that in a long time but I would do the same thing clinically. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So that's what I want to, that's what I want to jump into. So let's talk about like why people do this. What is reinforcing about that? And maybe explain what reinforcing is for someone who, yeah, you know, well, reinforcing. Yeah. Reinforcing just sort of means there's something about the activity that would, that would make you more likely to do it again. So it'd be like, if you ate something you enjoyed, it was, it tasted good and you felt good and you had energy after it. So you, you'd be more likely to, you know, go after that thing. With psychological disorders, there's just a handful of them. There's a part of the disorder that's enjoyable. So um, skin picking and hair pulling are one. Like an eating disorder would be another. You know, the person finds there's something about that behavior that's, I'm going to use the word reinforcing again, that's powerful to the person. Substance use could be another example, like the use of the substance or the drinking of the alcohol. There's something enjoyable about it. Almost all my clients would say, if I could hair pull a skin pick in the evening and then I woke up and everything looked fine, there's no chance I'd be seeing you. So by reinforcing, what would your what would many of your clients say it feels like when they do? The the best example I can say is, and I'm assuming ninety-eight percent of us do it, like when you get on your phone and you you're just doing nothing, mm -hmm. right? You're just like scrolling through something that break you have, that's what most people say, that it is a nice change from the day. Now, a couple other things to add. It can feel good because one of the things when you pull them out, the, the hair follicle can get kind of infected. So then you can actually, people say, I feel a pressure. 
and I don't think they're lying. I think there could actually be pressure, like there's a little infection. So they'll pull around until they can pull out that infected hair. And then when they get it, they're like, oh, that actually did feel better. Or, you know, like when the eyelash is coming out, it's not kind of coming out perfectly. And you pull it out and it just like, it feels more comfortable now that that one is out. People really describe a fascination with what comes out. You know, it's the hair and then there's like a hair follicle and the thicker the follicle probably felt like a bigger thing coming out. People are intrigued by the, you know, what it looks like. And then a large number of people will do something with it. They'll rub it, they'll bend it, they'll break it. A lot of will rub it on their lips. Some people eat the end, fewer eat the whole thing. But there's little things they do with it that are interesting and enjoyable. And and so I think it's like the bigger part is that mind break where you just do this kind of like boring, simple task. Mm-hmm. Like a distraction or, or like a separation from whatever else they were doing or maybe a little... Is stress related? Is it is it related to stress and anxiety? It It's related not all that strongly and I wouldn't <laughs> say caused by. Mm. It certainly does something for someone. Yeah. Like it it's a relief from whatever's happening, but it's not so much like, oh, I'm super stressed. I'm going to go pick or yeah. pull. The one thing that is worth getting is there's a perfectionism in it that like a lot of people are pulling out hairs that are different, thicker, curlier, crookeder. So when they see one that's like thick and off to the side, like on an eyelash, that may bug them all day. Mm -hmm. And like they'll bug them until they can get that one out and then they feel better because it's all kind of uniform now. Yeah. Do you see that with skin picking too? Like people are like, oh, there's a little piece of skin and I'm going to pull out it and pick at it. So when I said I think they're all skin picking and hair pulling are only 85% similar, that's the probably the 15%. I feel like there's more perfectionism in skin picking. There's more like I'm, I'm picking to get everything smooth and uniform. Mm-hmm. I'm showing my cuticles because that's kind of the most common place I see. Yeah. And the truth is you'll never get there. And in the process of trying to get there, you've just made things worse. And now you have more to pick out tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. More perfectionism with skin. That's really interesting to me. So, okay. Well, that's helpful. Okay. So here's, here's this kind of weird question, like in my head, and this is why our, like our brains are word machines, right? They're trying to figure out stuff. They're trying to make sense of this kind of behavior. And I wondered personally, like, is there a function to these behaviors? Like, is there an evolutionary function to skin picking hair fully? I was wondering if like in a tribe, Right. You know, you need someone who's going to be the one who pulls out the weird infected bits of skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or worms or picks through hair to find bugs and stuff. Like, is there any evidence for that? Or is that just me, like, making odd connections? I'll give the scientific answer first, that I, I don't think there's evidence. We haven't s- seen that. Yeah. Uh, but then I'll give the sort of anecdotal, sort of, like, clinical part. We all have hair, we all have grooming we have to engage in, and there's something about that grooming that is sort of like naturally fascinating to people in a way that's like different with other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we all have kind of the risk of falling into this. I definitely hear clinical stories where, you know, someone's just doing basic grooming, like hairs between the eyebrows or, you know, somewhere else on the body. And they pull one out and they're like, whoa, that was interesting because it's got a big follicle and it like had a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. And then some people are like, that was 
you know, and then they look for another thick hair, right? And it's it's easy to fall into it. Yeah. People talk about, you know, you pulling out to make a wish and they were doing that and they're like, it never stopped. Like I found out I really enjoyed this. Huh. And the, but they got there on their own. They didn't see it on, you know, TikTok. Like they just yeah. fell into trichotillomania. Sure. Well, I think we're naturally like touching our face or our hair or our skin all the time. And so to just stumble upon a behavior and then it feels good or it feels relieving or it feels pleasant right. or reinforcing in some way, then we just do it again. Right. And then it really is trapping that may, maybe that's a word. Yeah. Then people really do get stuck in it because it's, it's like a powerful, interesting behavior. I don't know. Well, you know, the thing that you're saying that really, I'm glad you shared that is it, it pulls some things together to me of the immediate reinforcing power of pulling an eyelash out or a crooked hair or a thick hair. And then the strong guilt and, you know, almost disgust that someone feels afterwards mm-hmm. of like, why did I do this? Because maybe that all of that stuff is actually so important to the person. It's just in the moment, it's more reinforcing to pull it out. But, you know, later mm-hmm. when they're going to go out or have to go to work or, you know, any one of those things that they've really damaged something that's incredibly important to them. Yeah. And then people engage in, you know, okay, they end up doing a lot of work to cover this up. And that's where I really feel bad for my clients is, you know, the fake eyelashes, the painted on eyebrows, I painted wrong word, but the, you know, the makeup done eyebrows, wigs sometimes, or, or particular hairdos that can cover it up. And, you know, this like 10 minutes of enjoyment then leads to hours and dollars and right like stress later in the day you know but that's kind of how immediate reinforcers work they're pretty they're pretty powerful but compared to delayed things yeah so after someone after someone does you know engage in this hair pulling and stuff you'll see you mentioned some guilt like regret yeah and then like shame like they're shame's free- a better word than even the one i used yeah mm-hmm. Like frequently just covering up or feeling bad or feeling like they're the only one who does this or what's the matter with me or why did I do that? Well, and and it's repeated. It's like, I know I'm going to hate this. I really wish I wouldn't. I was making progress. What's wrong with me? Right. But that act of doing it feels so good and it's so interesting and such a nice pause. Yeah. Okay, now and that makes me wonder, like, what what types of triggers or situations, or what kind of? I mean, is this some of the work you do? Maybe we'll shift a little bit to like, now what? So, so you know, you're you're pulling your hair, and you know, you're picking at your skin. What kind of treatment do you do? And does that start with asking, like, okay, can we catch ourselves doing it? Or do people do this subconsciously without noticing it? They do it when they're distracted oh. or unaware, or do they do it when they're intentionally like really stressed out? Like, I've got to pull my hair out. Okay, that's a lot of. I am so one. <laughs> Right. And I'm also like, oh my gosh, I'm summarizing a 12-week protocol into a statement. Okay. Probably an important thing to think about is we say people pull in two ways, right? Which is like focused, which is I'm looking for the gray, thick, curly hairs. I have a mirror. I might have a tweezers. I know I'm doing it. Like I'm talking to myself in my head. And then there's the habitual, if we use those two words, focused and habitual. And the habitual is the, like, I'm watching a movie and I'm, you know, my arm up on the edge of the sofa and I'm just like doing this thing. Another one's like driving a car, sitting in class, 
a lot of students say when they're studying, you know, they've got the book there and their hand propped up. That's the, you know, there's the side where they don't really know they're doing it. And to the treatment end, these behavioral techniques of just sort of like managing your environment, learning some basic skills can do a really good job with that habitual pulling. And then we find, you know, start the study, we knock off 50% of the pulling in like one week because a huge chunk of it's just this mindless, you know, that's not all that hard to stop. Okay. So I'll pause you there. And how yep. do you do that? Like what, like what practically do you do to help people become more aware of it or interrupt that? So I think the first thing I want to say is I don't believe there's an environmental change or, or wearing gloves or putting band-aids that's going to solve this problem. Now, there are things you can do that put you in a better situation. So if you know when you drive in the car that you put your elbow up on the window and then you sit like this, okay, right? Like make a rule, no elbow up on the window. It, again, it's not going to solve it, but we, if we get a little more purposeful about our behaviors, we can decrease that mind, mindless stuff. You know, sit in the middle of the couch. I've had clients who have a vanity mirror, you know, like in their room, with the tweezers and stuff right next to it. Yeah, probably a terrible idea, right? Like maybe you're a person who doesn't get a vanity mirror. You know, if part of your pattern is I pull for an hour in the mirror, in the bathroom in front of the mirror, well, take that out of your life. Like, you know, use a different bathroom, do it with the door open. There, there are tweaks we can do that give us a better chance. Okay. Again, that's only like halfway through it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that helps some people and then yeah, or more like helps them with yeah. half their pulling. Okay. That's probably a better way of saying it. Yeah. With half their pulling and more with the habitual stuff than the focus stuff. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And then what else? What else do you do? So then with the focus stuff, I mean, there's a lot to it, but here's the first thing I'd say to really like get in one's mind that immediate reinforcers have a ton of power and right. Which is the same reason, like. I'm walking around, like I'll literally do this. I'll come home, I'm hungry. Dinner's like gonna be ready in 10 minutes. And and I'll honestly eat like almost a candy bar. Why? Because I'm hungry and that's got a lot of calories and that'll make me feel less hungry. When if I could just wait 15 minutes, I could have dinner, which is like got vegetables and like the stuff that I ought to be eating and life would be completely fine. I'm, you know, like I'm fine. Not, I'm not like, low on food, I, you know, I can wait 15 minutes, but, mm -hmm. but I, I, I'm in some pattern where I don't, you know, hair pulling the, the joy you'd get for this brief bit. It's so detached from the joy one would get from having the hairstyle they want and the freedom they want and not have this as part of their life and, you know, decrease the shame and the guilt and the, there's a reinforcer off there in the future. It's just, this one right here is so much more powerful. So I think a big move is, and not in a guilting way, but in like a meaningful way, you have a choice. Do you want this quick reinforcer or do you want a bigger one? Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of, the first step is connecting that. And one of the things like I just said to a client, like what day is it? Wednesday, yesterday. I said, you can, like it's hard to think two months in, in the future. So instead of two months say, okay, I can do this thing now, or like I have a goal of making it through this week. 
So it's not as far out, but it's like, let's see if I can get through this week without pulling. And then, you know, like I'll give myself a sticker and, and I did it. And then I'll make another week goal. And you string a lot of those together and you start to build some confidence and some skills and, and yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. But too far out, it's difficult. Yeah. I mean, like, well, like, and that might be, I would say maybe a little harder with someone who does skin picking because it's like, well, if you were looking at consequences that are maybe scarring like way down the row, even though your, your skin seems to heal a little short them. So you'd have to remind people like, okay, we got to focus on them now or just a few days or a few hours right. even instead of at, at. Do, you, do you do a lot of clarification? Like, okay, let's, let's look at what you really want in your life and how this is harming you. Like, do you do a lot of clarification like that? I, I try to, uh, and more in the sense of like, when I think of values, I think of going towards the thing you care about versus getting out of a bad. So I'll say like, what would be so cool about, yeah. about changing this? And what would you have that you'd like? And people can live full and fulfilling lives with less hair. Yeah. That's fine. But we also have the choice to, to not have that issue. Right. So I tried to like find things that would be exciting and motivating to the person that we can grab onto, you know, for off in the future. Mm -hmm. I do have some, can I talk a little bit about urges and emotions? Yeah, please. Okay. So the other big part is with the focus pulling, you know, someone sees a hair and it's thick and it's going off to the side. They'll have this, they'll have a bunch of like feelings, urges that they want to get rid of that. And they'll even talk. They'll be like, I need to get rid of that one. If I don't get rid of it now, it'll bother me later. I bet that one's got a big root, right? They start like building it up. So the other part of the work that I do and I do with all my colleagues is I help them see that for what it is. It's just chatter. It's just a feeling. It's not real. You don't have to listen to it. Our bodies say thoughts all the, it says things all the time. We have feelings all the time. We, we ignore tons of them. Mm -hmm. So kind of taking this thought less seriously and then finding a way to have that feeling to just let it be there. Because we also have feelings all the time we don't listen to. And we need urges to hair pull to kind of move into that category of like things we don't listen to. Yes. And if you can start getting that relationship with urges, like they're not bad. They're just like, they're indicators that you have a behavior to do now. Like you, like you can either pull or not pull. Like this is your chance to make a choice. Yeah. And if the choice is to allow that feeling to be there, and not pull, then what happens is over time, you start developing a new relationship with that feeling mm -hmm. where it's just way less bossy. It's way less powerful and yeah. it's easier to not listen to. Mm -hmm. And would someone who was engaging in this have the fear that like, if I don't give into that urge, that urge is just going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. Like I'll just have to fight that urge, you know, like totally. it's worse and worse, right? Totally. Mm -hmm. Right. Imagine if you have that thought, then the next thing is, well, if I just pull it out right now, then I won't have to deal with it all day. Which reinforces that urge, right? It reinforces, it tells your brain, oh my gosh, that thought really was powerful. I'm going to have to listen to it next time or avoid it or escape it or suppress it or whatever it is next. Right, right. And I'm just thinking like there's people in the audience who are like, no, Mike, that's true. Mm -hmm. And and what I'd say is if you can get to a place where, where when your mind says, if you don't pull that out, you're going to feel bothered by it all day. 
work on getting to a place where you can let that thought be there all day. And then you will have a lot more freedom. It's kind of like, you know, if you're starting to date someone and you've talked and you've decided, I see, I don't know much about dating, but you know, you've talked and you're like, we don't need to talk till tomorrow. Like I will be too needy if I keep sending notes. I'm not sure this is the case. You know, people can learn to, to want to send more notes and wait till tomorrow because it's the right move. Like, yeah. I'm just putting that out there that we do ignore feelings all the time. Mm-hmm. Just like this one's fallen into a category of ones we won't ignore. Yeah. Do you have any favorite like diffusion or willingness exercises you help people with? So, yeah, my favorite diffusion and diffusion is seeing thoughts as thoughts is, you know, like an announcer at a sporting event, mm-hmm. like that announcer will just talk the entire time. You know, like a, if you take like a baseball game, you know, it could be two and a half hours long or three hours long. You know, that that radio announcer just has to fill the time and it's just going to blab and blab and blab. And I think our minds are like that. I think my mind is like that. I mean, yeah. I'm just going to keep making noise all day long. I'm just going right. to talk even if there's nothing to talk about. I'm going to just find something to say about something. Right? That's right. Yeah. And yeah, like as we've sat here and I've loved our conversation and I care about the topic. I've thought about what I need to do next, what I might have for lunch, how I need to clean up my desk. Like my mind is, and right, just because your mind says something doesn't make it important. I I think we can choose to make it important, but it's not automatically. And then, you know, acceptance or willingness is that, that like openness to having something there. And, and maybe a metaphor that, that is coming to my mind it's that's kind of fits with trick and an urge you know it's like if someone shows up that you don't really enjoy like if you're having a dinner party and maybe one of the guests is not your favorite one but fits in the social group that you can still be nice to the person you can offer them things and be kind and like liking or not liking doesn't have to affect how we treat something yeah and and so if you have a thought you don't like like I hate that hair. I need it to go away. And it's really bugging you. You can find a place for it, which is like, I'll just, I'll just give you this place to sit. Like, I'll be nice to you, but I don't need to, you know, do as you say. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Unwanted party guest, right? Right. Right. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So, so, okay. I saw on a practical level if someone was having a strong urge like, oh, I just really want to pull this out or I really want to see what the follicles like or if someone's having a thought, like, I just like, or, or a feeling like, oh, I just really want to feel what it feels like when that comes out or if they have right. thought, like, I have to just pull this out or else I'll think about it all day. Then on a practical level, you would say, let me just see if I'm understanding, you would say something like, okay, can we notice that feeling? Can we allow that thought to be there? Can we make space for that? Can we accept that we don't have like we could just be like oh yeah that's chatter that's totally chatter yeah and i don't need to act on yes and then the last part i'd add is the why which is like when when you're in this moment when you can go one of two directions which is pull or realize this is what your body's going to do in this moment you know connect with the why Mm -hmm. and then you can maybe find a reason to have this difficult emotion and if you find that reason it makes a lot of sense. It's like we we do difficult things all day long. Not all day long, but we do a lot of difficult things every day because there's a reason. You're not just supposed to suffer through this urge. Like if you make it through this urge and another thousand, 
you could actually get out of this pattern. Yeah. Can we talk about that for a second? Could you just give like in a minute or two how reinforcement works with this? Sure. Like explain I, to people like how the brain works and how it's reinforcing and how that wires your brain to have more thoughts like that or more urges or behaviors like that and then how we extinguish those. Do you diminish those? Yes. I'm so glad you asked that question because right before you said it, I'm like, we need to talk about that. Yeah. All living things can be conditioned. I recently saw a study, they conditioned sunflowers. So what they did is they paired sunlight with, with loud music mm. and then sunlight, loud music, sunlight, loud music. And then, you know, after enough pairings, they just turned on the loud music and the sunflowers moved over to where the sun should be. No I don't way. Right. So if you can condition a sunflower, mm-hmm. you can, you can condition humans really fast. And I think the important thing is if we condition ourselves, the conditioning sure. for the general audience is our brain creates associations. It pairs thoughts or behaviors with other thoughts or behaviors or outcomes. So for someone who's hair pulling, they would engage in a behavior like pulling hair. They would have a feeling like, ooh, that felt relieving. And then the brain would be like, oh, I'm going to do that again. And the pretty soon hair pulling is, is paired with that relief. Or it could even be paired with a thought like, oh, I don't like this bit of skin. I'm yeah. perfect. I need to fix this. This is uncomfortable. And then you pair that with a behavior. And then that behavior is paired with relief. And pretty soon, like the thought and the behavior or the thought and the relief are very closely associated, right? That's conditioning. Yes. Yes. Pavlov's yes. dogs. Pavlov's dogs, right? Like this is right. Um, yes. And if someone spent one year, much less 15 years conditioning themselves into this pulling pattern. You know, I see a mirror, urges show up, they get really strong. I pull, the urges go away. It all happens super fast. You, you don't even have to think about it. That to move yourself out of that pattern, your body's going to be annoyed. It's going to kick and scream. It is mm-hmm. not going to like this new conditioning. But anyone who's learned any new skill knows you can recondition yourself. You can condition your your body and your mind and your emotions to do new things. Yeah. So really a lot of this work is talking about as we learn a new style of behavior, can we deal with the thoughts, feelings, and emotions that come along with learning something new? Because mm-hmm. I, I guarantee I've been doing this for over 20 years. If you get into a new pattern of behavior, all this stuff adjusts. Yeah. And this like really difficult place you're in, you will not be there. Mm-hmm. I'm not promising you'll never think of a hair again, but how hard you find it now, it will not be that. But you need to walk through the swamp and get to this new place. I love that. I love that. And I love like how plastic our brains are. Like our brains are wired to adapt and change. That is how they're built. Uh-huh. Yep. That's awesome. Okay. So, okay. So go- can we just summarize that like conditioning cycle or like how that works just summarize it one more time for me with, with like trichotillomania in general or like as a specific example. Well, I mean, there's there's a lot of things. Uh, at a Okay, if we just went at the emotional level, when you walk into a certain situation, emotions and thoughts are going to kick off. And if you engage in the behavior, then you have reinforced them showing up in that situation. So if you stop giving in to the behavior, they're going to be annoyed. They're going to get even louder. But if you can walk through that for a month or whatever, then they will learn they don't need to be as loud in that situation. 
again, don't expect zero, just expect a lot less. But the other thing that happens is you gain skills and you'll be way better at dealing with these different thoughts and feelings and emotions than, than you were. So like if, like when you asked me to be on this podcast, well, I'm okay with doing this because I do things like this. Like I have some skills in talking about my profession. Well, how would I get that? I didn't just get that. I get that from practicing on a pretty regular basis. Like I talk to my grad students, I talk in classes, I talk at conferences and like I I acquired that skill. So that confidence is like, well, you can probably talk about it this time. And the same thing would happen for someone with trick or skin picking that I had higher urges. I had a piece of skin that was hanging off that was annoying me. I've made it through this before. I can make it through again. And you actually learn that like the urge will stay really high for 10 minutes, whatever, 30 minutes. You start to get some skills and confidence and know you can handle it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's great. Well, cool. Would you like to summarize your 12-week protocol? Like, is that something you can do? Like, I can do that. I'm sure. Is the worth? Yeah. So it's called ACT, so from Acceptance and Commitment Therapy-Based Behavior Therapy. And the reason we gave it that title is the beginning of the treatment is making some environmental changes that give you a better chance of stopping. So kind of getting rid of the tweezers and getting rid of the vanity mirror and sitting in a different spot, just kind of giving yourself some better chances. Then we teach you habit reversal, which is this old behavioral intervention, which is basically when you're pulling or about to pull, put your hands in fists for a minute, and it gets you out of that sort of quick habitual pulling pattern. And Hmm. between those two moves, which is like the first two to three weeks, we see about a 50% drop. And then what's left is sort of the, the focus pulling, the real cognitive, what I might call more difficult. And that's where we use the ACT strategies. And, and there it's the seeing thoughts as seeing urges as urges, learning how to make room for them. And then being clear with yourself, why it's worth this, like why it's worth making room for them. That's the values part. And then on a weekly basis, you know, whittling down the pulling. So we'll have people track. And so they might be like, let's just say a hundred hairs a day by week three, they're at 60 And then we'll just keep working on whittling that down so that the conditioning can happen slowly. You know, they can get used to pulling 50. They can get used to pulling 40. And and at sort of that speed, it's pretty doable. And, you know, if we graph it, there's there's ups and downs. And I just say that's life. There's ups and downs. Yeah. And do you have them, like, as they track their pulling, do you have them also shift their focus to, like, other things? Like, okay... Because if you put a lot of attention on like, how many hairs am I pulling today? Does that kind of reinforce that like hair pulling or not so much? Well, I, one of the things I hear that you're saying is like, is treatment just about having less pulling and it's a big part of it, but yeah. we always talk about like, why are we doing this? Mm-hmm. It's not like globally we've decided pulling's bad, but it's more like if you didn't pull, it would open up these things for you and And that's what we're hoping for the person. Like, again, I've met people who pull and are like, I function pretty well. And I say, that's wonderful. You know, like, I'm glad you do. And then there's a lot of people who are like, I would function tons better if I didn't have this mixed in with my other stuff. And I totally get that. 
And, you know, if it makes someone date more easily or, or with more confidence, then like, that's awesome. Yeah. They feel more confident. They feel less shame in their life. Like that's powerful. That's like a big deal. It's a really big deal. Or they even just learning like, oh, I can have an urge and I don't need to make it go away. I don't need to act on it. That's a pretty powerful life skill. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's really cool. And I forgot to ask, is is it associated with OCD, autism spectrum disorders, or other neurodiverse like disorders? Is it kind of a Venn diagram with OCD? My pause is, you know, probably statistically there's a good relationship with with the things you described. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll say in our studies, what we really see is the ones that are notable to me, ADHD is there. And honestly, if ADHD is present, treatment is hard because, right, this is such a self-control. You got to follow all these steps. Yeah, I'm like an impulse control, right? Impulsivity. And then perfectionism, right? There's a category of clinical perfectionism. And I think that plays into this too. If if people want things to be a certain way, it's going to be hard because if you don't get to groom and it's going to be what it is, that's hard for some people. Well, that is all really fascinating. Yeah. You, yeah. Like, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. Really appreciate your expertise, your wisdom, your experience. Where could people find you? Where can people learn more about the work you're doing or access more resources? Yes, probably. There, there's a lot of things. I'll name, I'll name probably the best one. So utahact.com. That's the website for my research lab. So that's more of like, if you're a professional that has a lot of like manuscripts and treatment protocols. Oh my gosh. Now I think about, we have a lot of stuff we do have, and we have studied a website to treat trichotillomania using this protocol. I think it'll be up for public use next month. So we're in July. It's supposed to launch August. We've run two studies on it and it worked nicely. I have a treatment manual and a client workbook on trichotillomania that, you know, the manuals for the therapist, the workbooks for the client. And that would be on Amazon or anywhere else. And then if there's a professional listening, August 18th, I'm doing a Zoom workshop teaching people how to use my manual. And that's for professionals. You get like your CEs for attending that. And that would be on junipermhformentalhealth.com. So junipermentalhealth, that's where I do my private practice. And that would just be available to people. I mean, anyone can do the workshop, but if clients are like, oh, I want to contact him, I can only... I can only work in Utah yeah, because uh, of the licensing. That's great. Okay. And I'll make sure those links are in the description if anyone wants to Thanks. contact you. Thanks. Cool. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Really appreciate your time. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed this episode and found something you can add to your daily routine that makes your life just a little bit better. If you want to learn more about topics like how to process tough emotions, how to change your brain, how to build better relationships, or support someone you know with a mental illness, then check out my classes at therapyinanutshell.com. And if you feel like these podcasts have been a benefit to you, please leave a rating so others can more easily find this content. Thank you so much and have a great day.